Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Not Overthinking. This week, we have a bit of an in-between episode because Taymor is currently still in the Dominican Republic and I was hanging out in Tenerife and forgot to take my microphone. So this is a deep dive interview that I did with a lovely chap called Austin Cleon. Now, Austin Cleon is a writer who has written lots of amazing books. The book that he wrote in particular that most changed my life is a small book called Show Your Work. And I read Show Your Work in 2016 and it basically is what encouraged me to set up my own blog, which was the baby step that I needed before setting up the YouTube channel and later on this podcast. And honestly, I think if it hadn't been for that book, and if I hadn't discovered it at that time, then my life would be very different today than it is now. So this is a long two hour interview with Austin, where we talk about loads and loads of stuff ranging from creativity to writing to the meaning of life to goals to how to think about happiness, loads of cool stuff like that. Just before we get started, um, huge thank you to Skillshare for sponsoring this episode. If you haven't heard by now, Skillshare is an amazing online platform with thousands of classes on all sorts of things from entrepreneurship to technology to lifestyle to design to cooking to illustration. If you go to skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking pod, the first 1000 people to hit that link, uh, which will also be in the show notes, will get a free trial of Skillshare. And then during a free trial, you can check out all of the classes that I have got on Skillshare myself. At the moment, I think I've got six of them. I've got two about productivity, two about how to study for exams, one about how stoicism has made me happier, and one about how I edit videos in Final Cut Pro. So there's like, you know, 15 plus hours of content on Skillshare of me teaching people stuff. So if you want want me to teach you things, then go to skillshare.com slash not overthinking pod. And then when your trial is over, the annual premium subscription is less than $10 a month, and you'll have unlimited access to the thousands of amazing high-quality classes on Skillshare through that. So thank you, Skillshare, for sponsoring this particular episode. Uh, link in the show notes if you want to check it out. And without further ado, here is the interview that I had, or, the, or rather the discussion I had with Austin Cleon. I hope you enjoy. Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Deep Dive Livestream featuring none other than Austin Cleon. Austin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, Austin, so this is great to finally speak to you because your book, Show Your Work, which you've got in the background there, is like the single books I have most gifted to anyone ever. Because like ever since I read it in like January of 2016, that was what basically forced me to start my blog. And then a year and a bit later, I started my YouTube channel. And now people ask me for advice like oh my god how do you get how do you put yourself out there on the internet and stuff and i always say look man you've just got to read show your work because it just eliminates any any and all like at least for me eliminated all of my excuses that i've been telling myself for years um i i imagine you must get that a lot because that was that's a very impactful book well i never get tired of hearing it but (laughs) no i i'm so thrilled i mean i think one thing that's you know the thing that blows my mind is that the books have been around for a while. Mm. And so you can, I can actually see how it's played out for some of the readers <laughs> now, which is like, which is like this really strange, wonderful thing, you know? Um, but I think that that book, you know, it, it's interesting. That book has sort of had a life of its own. I mean, Steel Like Anaris is the book that everybody knows, mm. 
But um, I feel like show your work really has this kind of people who really read it and do something with it. It seems to be the book that really like has an impact. And I think that part of the reason people at first didn't like that book mm. is because it was like, this is going to be work. Like, yeah. you, you know, like you're going to have to do something, <laughs> you know, because still like an artist is pretty encouraging. It's like, hey, just get lots of different ideas from people and work on your own thing. And eventually it'll, you know, come into fruition or whatever. But like show your works like you're going to have to do this work day in and day out. And, you know, slowly over time, something will happen. So it thrills me to hear that. I mean, it's a huge compliment to me. Um, yeah. So with, with Steel Like an Artist, um, where, did the, where does the phrase come from? Because like, I've, I've, I've just heard the phrase so often now, like since, since then, but like, where, where, where did you get that from? Or is that something that, that you came up with that then just <laughs> sort of made, it, made its way into the mainstream? Well, I found it in a book. In there, you know, you can use Google now to to search like uh, to you know to search like all the books ever published or whatever yeah. you know, that are actually scanned and on record. And um, I did find it in a like a novel from like '52, uh, but I I've never found any other mention mm. of that specific phrase. How it happened for me was. And really the whole genesis of that book was I'm sort of a meticulous uh, quote collector. I just love reading interviews with other um, artists and writers and all kinds of sorts of people. Um, and I just kept hearing this word steal. Mm. And it just – I just noticed over time that this is just how like artists tend to talk. They just use this metaphor of stealing. Mm. And it's not really stealing, right? So it's kind of interesting that, but that word just popped up over and over. And the the funny thing is, is the person that's the most um, sort of people quote the most as having said it is Picasso. And I've never found any record of him af actually saying this. Uh. But, but the one that the one that people actually quote the most is um, "bad artists copy, great artists steal." Okay. which is is supposedly Picasso said I've never found any you know any any evidence that he actually said that particular phrase yep. um but Steve Jobs did quote him as saying that and I think that's where a lot of people <laughs> got it but the, but the one that 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 is real is from T.S. Eliot the poet from 1920 and he said that immature poets copy and great poets steal mm. And what he was talking, there's the, the, and this is right in the front of the book, the really important part comes next. He says, you know, the great poet takes what he's stolen and welds it into a wholly different thing, right? So, so Eliot is really talking about transformation in that quote. You know, he's, he's saying that, like, look, when you're young, you just copy, you just imitate people. Mm. But when you get older, you steal these little bits and pieces and you weld them together. And by the end, it looks completely different. And you've got this new thing that you've like contributed to the culture. Yeah. So it's hard because like when you're writing, you want some sort of phrase that's like sticky, mm. you know, some sort of phrase that's going to kind of you want something that people feel like they've heard before, but not quite the same thing, you know? But the thing with Still Like an Artist is just that it's become, it's sort of this thing that if you don't understand the like an artist part, yeah. 
it falls apart, right? I mean, it's steel like an artist. Okay, well, how does an artist steal? Well, they don't really steal at all. They take things and they turn them into something new that's unrecognizable. But it really came from my... Um, you know, I make the joke that it's just because I'm not very original. I mean, I, I just read and read, <laughs> and everyone used that word, and I thought there's something here. Yeah, you know, there's something to it. Yeah, this is something I, I I always tell people as well that I really don't think I'm very original at all. I think I probably stole that from you somewhere, and I've just sort of used <laughs> that phrase so often that it's just I I feel like a broken record when I tell people that. Yeah, guys, I'm not I'm I'm not original. <laughs> I just sort of steal stuff from other places, then kind of remix it and sort of present it as sort of my own, and. There's a, 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 a quote that I like, which is that um, there are no unique messages, only unique messengers. Um, and that speaks to a lot of the stuff that you say in, in Show Your Work about kind of be unapologetically an amateur. Because uh, one, one of the biggest stumbling blocks I find is a lot of the people I speak to are, for example, um, academics or like doctors or medical students wanting to get into, you know, showing their work in some capacity. But in these very hierarchical fields, there is always a feeling of, well, I'm, I'm just not qualified enough to do this yet. Um, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, what do you say in response to people who, who kind of feel that way? Well, the, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the guy I go to on this subject is mm. C.S. Lewis. And he just said something really brilliant about learning and teaching he said that you know the problem is is that an expert when an expert is starting out talking to a beginner the beginner is like down here right and the expert is like up here and the expert can't remember necessarily what it was like to be down here now one of the peers of the beginner that's just gotten up to this point still remembers more what it was like to be down here. And so they can sort of speak to that beginner better in some ways than the expert that's up here because they understand where that beginner is coming from. And how C.S. Lewis put it is he said that fellow schoolboys, it's gendered, but, you know, fellow students can teach fellow students just as effectively as the teacher because they've only just mastered the thing that they've learned and, and they can communicate it. And so that really set me free once I once I sort of took in that um, it's really an ethos, you know, it's almost it's sort of punk rock in a way. It's almost like, you know, you just get up and play and then, yeah, you can get up here and play, too. You know, it's that kind of spirit of, you know, any I'm going to show you it's the difference between saying I'm an expert and I'm going to teach you something mm. versus I am a fellow student and this is what I've learned. And maybe you can take something from this. And I think that is just such a what I try to, you know, really um, encourage people who are just starting to, you know, maybe they start a blog or they start a YouTube channel or or they're just starting to put themselves out there. I say forget about being an expert, just present yourself as a student who is learning something and you're sharing what you've learned. So just, you know, forget about teaching and simply share what you're learning. And if you switch, you know, it, it's a little switch, but if you make that switch, it, it frees you up in a big way. And I also think it makes you a better teacher. 
I because I think people respect it. They're like, oh, this is just some, you know, for me, for example, I think a lot of people are like, well, he's just some guy muddling through this <laughs> you know, like me, you know, and I think that's encouraging. You know, I, I always love the um, I just rewatched. Um, I'm kind of a music nut and I love I've been really into synth pop recently. I don't okay. know. Like so like, you know, Depeche Mode, New Order and 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 Yaz or Yazoo over <laughs> across the pond. Um and one of the things that Bernard, uh, Bernard Sumner said about the lead singer for New Order said is that, you know, he's like, I saw the Sex Pistols and they were terrible. And I wanted to get up there and be terrible with them. Mm, <laughs> you know? So it's nice. that spirit of like, there's something infectious about watching someone be enthusiastic about something. And that's the other thing I would say is the enthusiasm, a spirit of curiosity and inquiry and enthusiasm can take you a lot farther in some ways than an expert who's kind of jaded or stuck up or you know that kind of thing yeah absolutely like that's the exact attitude i have whenever i'm i'm doing videos it's it's never that i am the expert teaching you how to do the thing it's more like you know I'm just one of the people, man. I read <laughs> read Austin Cleon's book and he said this thing that I'm learning along the way and therefore I started my blog and my YouTube channel. And yeah, this is kind of fun. So join me along the way. And I found yeah. that when I, when I dig down into the analytics, my videos that have performed by far the best are the ones that start with the phrase, how I do something rather than how to do something. Um, I had a video that recently. That is really cool. Yeah. I, 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 that is really cool. I, I had a video recently called How I Type Really Fast. And that went completely viral. It's got like 3 million views. And I know if I'd called it how to type faster or how to type really fast, it just would not have done so well. Because I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I very much subscribe to this thing that Gary Vaynerchuk calls document, don't create. Um, I'm, I'm looking down because I'm writing. Oh, I've sweet. got my notebook out. I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm going to write this down. Of course, I realized you're recording, so I can just watch it later. <laughs> yeah, no, this yeah. this document, not create, that's a great phrase that Gary uses. Um, but yeah, that, that amazing. So that's language, right? That's just, that's a simple trick of language. And I love, what I love about that is also it sets the expectations up mm. that you're not maybe going to teach someone directly how to do something, but you're going to show them how you do it. Right. And then that I'm very, so I have little kids right now. I have an eight year old and a five year old and they don't go to school right now. They, they're, they were going to school and then the pandemic hit. And now we just kind of, we're, we're muddling through right now. Um, but they don't have any kind of formal schooling in, in their lives. And I'm always fascinated by how they respond to instruction um, my kids hate being told what to do. They hate when I'm like, Hey, sh- watch this. You know, they're, they're, they are resistant to teaching. Hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's just cause I'm a terrible teacher or what, what they love is to just for me to do something and for them to look and then for me to give them the space then to do their own thing. And so it sounds like with your videos, that's what you're doing, right? You're like, this is how I'm doing this thing. And then people feel like, okay, well, maybe I could try that, but that's how he does it. So how will I do it? Right. So it just, I feel like you're so much of teaching and building an audience and really creating a community is about, you know, showing people what you've learned, but also giving them the space to make their own like adjustments. 
You know, I mean, to the space for them to be creative, too. And I think the really great teachers, and I'm sure you found this with your videos, people talk back to you and they're like, you'll learn so much from them. Right. Because that because that's really the thing that I think about sharing what you're learning. Even if someone tells you you're an idiot, there is usually something you can learn out of that interaction. They're like, well, you're I remember like um, I, I do these things called newspaper blackout poems where I take an article from the newspaper and I yeah. black out most of it. And there's just like a few words behind it. It looks like if the CIA did haiku basically, <laughs> yeah. but like I remember when I first started posting those and I thought I was like ripping off the CIA or the FBI or like uh, all these redacted files mm. I'd seen. And someone was like, Oh, you're just, you're just a rip off of this Tom Phillips guy. And I was like, Tom Phillips, who the hell is that? Right? Like what? And then I f- discovered this guy named Tom Phillips that did this wonderful um, work called a humument. And I started looking at that and thought, oh my God, this guy got there before me. And then as I was studying his work, I found out, oh, wait a minute, but he learned about this technique from William Burroughs. So then I started studying William Burroughs. Well, Burroughs got this technique from this guy named Brian Geiser. You know, so I started swimming upstream, so to speak. Yeah. You know? And it was just because I had been called a ripoff of this person. But like once I discovered Tom Phillips, then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to find out everything there is to know about Tom's work. And then I'm going to find out everything to know about the people who inspired his work, right? So like even negative feedback, in a sense, if you can take it in the correct way, you it's just are you going to learn from it, yeah. right? And so – and, it, you know, it's a big – but when you share, you – you people share back in return and it's like uh christopher hitchens said that having a book out in the world it's like having a free education that goes on for a lifetime Mm, you know because it's just like you put things out into the world and then they things come back at you and it's just this big you know this perpetual cycle basically yeah yeah there's so much like this is one of the topics that i can literally go on for hours like (laughs) just the the sheer amount of like interesting things that happen to your life once you start sharing sharing your work and like showing your work online and the 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 metaphor that that i sometimes use uh, is that if like it's it's sort of like being in a very small village and if you're in a very small village then there's very uh there are very limited opportunities for serendipity to happen Yes, maybe one day a carriage comes by and the person in that carriage happens to be the person that you end up marrying, you know, once in a blue moon. Uh, But putting your work out there online, it's like suddenly you're going, you're venturing outside of your village and you can now sort of the, the, the infinite web of possibilities for serendipity and interesting things to happen just magnifies beyond the point where you can even imagine. And occasionally people will ask me, yeah, well, what's the point of starting a blog? And I think, oh, this is, uh, how, how do I even begin to answer that? How, how would you answer that question if someone was like, well, Austin, you've told me I should start a blog and I've read show your work, but like, come on, everyone has a blog these days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny though, because I've started to be, it's funny, I mean, I advocate for certain things, but I started to be like, well, maybe you shouldn't. Because mm. <laughs> I'm like, you know, there's a hunger. The, the older I get, the more I realize that there's sort of a, a weird, there's an ambition component to people who want to put their work out in the world. I mean, I think everyone could benefit from having their work out in the world. Mm-hmm. I think it can make, I, I think there's benefits to it. But there's, I, I want to help people that want to be helped these days. Mm. And I feel like 
if I have to make a case for blogs for you, then I, you know, obviously it's not connecting with you in a way. You know what I mean? It's almost like if I had to make a case for you for reading, you know, like yeah. well, why should I read? <laughs> well. And it's kind of like, well, I don't know. Don't see. I, the, is that working yeah. out for you? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I don't know. I mean, like, I just think the other thing I'm trying to do is I'm trying to be technology and platform agnostic because I'm realizing like what an old fart I'm becoming. Like even, even like I'm only 37, but I'm realizing now that like I'm basically in internet years, like an old dad now. I mean, I'm literally a dad, but I'm yeah, like, you've got an eight year old and five year old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm entering this, like I'm approaching middle age. And so I know that I'm like, I understand TikTok but I might not have the energy to do it. <laughs> you know mm. what I mean? So like I'm like facing this moment in my life where I'm um, going to have to flip um, the switch and I have to be like a curious elder now. Like um, John Waters, the filmmaker, talks about that. He talks about how like he has what he calls um, youth spies. So like young people who are like cultural spies for him who like yeah. he can – you know, they can tell him what's cool and he can it, it tell him what to look into. I'm like switching into that mode now. I call it a curious elder where it's like you sort of realize that like you're hitting an age where like it's people below you. They're going to have to tell you or below you in age, not in rank or anything. But it's like it's like people who are younger than you. They're going to have to like tell you what's happening like in the world and who you're even going to have to take cues from now. And I think that like. But that's all part of that perpetual student life, right? Mm -hmm. That perpetual amateur stuff that we were thinking about before is that as long as you can cultivate that sort of attitude that you're just going to be a lifelong learner and you're just never going to be done learning, it's easier to make that adjustment. I think who gets messed up are the guys who like, um, you know, they, they – they get up to a certain level and they're like, well, I'm the marketing master now. I'm, you know, I, you know, whatever I'm, I'm the best selling author yeah. or whatever. And, <laughs> and they lose that edge of that sharpness of, of being interested and, and learning and, and being an amateur. So I don't know. I, but I mean, I dodged your question about why someone should blog. I think that, you know, Seth Godin writes really well about this, about the, the impact of having a daily blog. Mm. Um, I think for me, what is interesting about having a, a blog or some sort of daily project, even if it's like I post one thing to Instagram every day or you know just something little like that, mm. having something that you have to do every day, you find out it's not that you have something to say, it's that you find out what you have to say. So that's so like writing every day. Some people say, oh, well, you must have so much to say because you write every day. I'm like, actually, it's the opposite. I have more to say because I sit down and write every day and I figure out what I'm thinking and what it actually is that I have to say. So writing is actually not just a way of communicating with the world. It's actually a way of communicating with yourself because the simple act of sitting down in front of a keyboard for 45 minutes or pulling out your notebook for a half hour or whatever it is – you are creating space in the day for you to kind of connect with up with what's here and to figure out what's going on and what is it that I really feel and mm -hmm. what is it that I really think, 
you know and i think that's a real that's something that the beginner has to get over very quickly is that this idea like well i don't have anything to say what am i going to blog about it's like the the pressure and the routine and the the muscles of blogging every day means that you will get to something every day and and i have to say i'm someone who doesn't necessarily practice what i preach right now i'm actually i'm in a weird i i write every day i write privately every day like in my diary and stuff Mm -hmm. but i don't actually blog every day anymore and i can actually tell i am less creatively fertile right now because i don't have that practice because there's something a switch that happens when you know that people are going to read it it brings up your kind of the level of things, okay. you know, it's it's a kind of it brings things up. I think. So this is very interesting. So um, at the moment, I am sort of in the process of writing a book, which I haven't like officially announced to my audience and stuff yet. My condolences. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, initially I was like, "Come on, how hard can this be?" And then I realized I I I, I said to the editor that yeah, I can get a first draft ready by Christmas. And he said. You sure most people take like nine to 12 months for a first draft and that's like if they're being i was like come on how hard can it be i'm a productivity expert and now i realize damn it's actually really freaking hard um but it's and so i've i've been doing a lot of these kind of deep dives with people who happen to be authors and so i'm i'm, I'm getting all these tips for writing and, and everyone kind of says that you need to have this daily writing practice and it's something that for me has always sort of gone by the wayside because there is always it, it always feels like there is something that is important and urgent rather than writing which is important and non-urgent actually just before just before (laughs) speaking to you i was i I was having a call with this uh productivity coach because i thought hey why not let's see if if this will be good and and the thing we realized is that i just need to carve out an hour every morning and just have that as like my power hour and just just kind of write in that time and one thing that that you've just said now is like do you think it would be worth just like publishing it on my blog under underneath like my daily journal thing and then maybe just personally a link to twitter or should i given that it's working towards a book i should keep these like first drafty thingies more private what do you reckon i will give you an idea i had in the shower actually this morning (laughs) i had this idea for a self-destructing blog which was like i had this idea for writing you know, what I'm working on right now is like, I should just make a blog and just give it to either like give it to like my newsletter readers or like just my close friends or something and just be like, I'm writing my book every day, but like each post self-destructs after like a week or something. Yeah. So like it's it's going, you know, what I mean, I was trying to think of like, how can I make writing this book feel like blogging, which is so I'm so good. I'm so it's so easy for me now because I know what it is. Like, how can I make it fun like that? And I had this idea for the self-destructing blog, which might be an idea for you. Um, But the other thing I'll say about books, especially for someone like you who creates a lot of stuff and you've got like this huge backlog is um, there's a great line that Stuart Brand said to Brian Eno, and I can actually read it because it's on my corkboard right behind the camera. Yeah. It says, why don't you assume you've already written your book and now all you have to do is find it? So I think about that a lot. Damn, that's deep. Yeah. So like, (laughs) you know, for people who are like sort of trying to do a book that is the culmination of 
you know, uh, years worth of work online or, or, you know, stuff like, you know, videos and this kind of multimedia experience, you know, this, all this stuff that you've put out into the world. I, I, that always sort of takes the pressure off for me is like, what if the book's already here and I just have to discover the pieces and then I just have to shovel the pieces, you know, shuffle the pieces into the right order. Because for me, writing is, is, is often a, a lot about structure. I think yeah. books, okay. are, are, books are really about tight structures that take the reader through in a way that is, um, is expansive and has variety, but is also linear. I think people like to read front to back and, yeah. and be kind of taken on a journey, even if it's a nonfiction book. And so for me, my books are so kind of like collage-like that the list of 10, for example, in all, in all these, the three previous books have, have, they sort of pull the reader through. They know, okay, I'm on number one and then there'll be number two, but finding the right structure for me is really when a project kind of just falls into place. Like once I have the structure for the book, I, I it's very easy to execute it usually, but finding that structure, I mean, it can take years. I mean, I, you know, I, I scrapped a book proposal this summer. I was working on a book and I, and I just, I just said, I can't do this right now. You know, part of that was the pandemic and yeah. just, you know, whatever, but I'm back to it now. Okay. And, you know, so, but I, but that would, that might be another piece of advice I'd have for you is definitely a power hour. Like your, like your advisor said, you know, just a place that you sit down and I like goofy stuff, like wearing a shirt you really like, or like mm. a stupid robe or something, just like dumb. I have a, um, I have these cigarette pencils, they're pencils but they're cigarettes. So I sit there and I'm like, <laughs> I pretend I'm like some old grizzled yeah. <laughs> like like, newspaper writer. Yeah. Also, I mean, I, I, I never really smoked, but I, it was one of those things I started smoking in college and I realized I liked it too much. So I had to quit, but I realized that there's like something about having something in my mouth that like <laughs> makes me want to write okay. Just goofy stuff like that. Huh. Brian Eno actually talks about that. He says like an unlit cigarette is just as as helpful as a lit cigarette, <laughs> but just dumb things. See, like I love to do that for people because oh, they're like, oh, this is this really is how dumb he is. You know, this is how. But these are the kind of dumb tricks that like you sort of get into it. You know, and and just to have that routine of writing, because man, there's always something more interesting to do than write. Oh, I mean, God. they're all, like. <laughs> Like putting air in the tires or, or like cleaning out your closet or rearranging your books or you know doing your taxes yeah. my taxes whenever i'm working on a book my taxes get done like so quickly oh man you know, there's always something that you'd rather do than write it's, it... it's even the great writers you know i mean there are some writers that you know they love it and they're really good at it but you know david rakoff you know he said I'll try to tone this down for YouTube, but he said, you know, writing is like pulling teeth from my genitals, you know, <laughs> it's, just, it's, just like, yeah. it's just like, it's the work, you know, and Rakoff said this really brilliant thing too, where he was like, you know, writing is like engineering a meal out of rotten food because it always starts as crap. Like your, your yeah. thoughts are just this, like just this mass of junk. 
and you know it's like it's like trying to make a meal out of spoiled stuff from the garbage you know (laughs) it's just like you know it's this but i think of it as a refinement process i think of it as like uh you've got all this raw sludge and you got to kind of run it through a machine several times and refine and that's what the um that's like what the editing process is right you just got this sludge and this mass and you're just you're just constantly reshaping it and sharpening it and all that stuff so it's it's hard i mean you know there's a reason there's a reason honestly why writers drink for one thing (laughs) i mean it's alcoholism is the writer's disease and part of it is is it takes so much of your kind of active brain all day that it can be hard to come down Mm. at the end of the day which is why i think for me an hour of writing a day is much better than spending all day working because if i spend all day working first of all i'm a terrible dad a terrible spouse friend i just i'm a maniac but then it's really hard to come down and if you don't come down you know there i really believe in sleep and the process of, I think when you sleep, you hmm. your brain figures out the problems you had the morning before. So, I mean, I will always sleep on a manuscript. And often the problem I have, you know, one day after a good night's sleep, it gets fixed the next day. Oh. So I just think little, I really believe in smaller chunks of work over longer periods of time. Okay. Yeah, then big marathon first. Yeah, yeah, because I've been I've been recently very tempted to do the hey I'm going to go to Airbnb in the woods and sit down for a I'm solid go- week. And, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to rent an apartment in Paris. I, I mean, I remember talking to a friend. She said, yeah. "I'm going to rent an apartment in Paris for three months and write my book." And I was always like, "What I would do is spend three months in my garage." writing a book and then i would spend three months in paris as a like as a treat because yeah. <laughs> i you know if you go to paris there's going to be a hundred there's going to be a thousand things you'd rather do than sit in a room and write i mean you ought to go to a holiday inn in uh in, 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 in backwater like some, the yeah Apart- where there's nothing to do <laughs> <laughs> but that's just me. Who was it? Who, 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 I, 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 th- I think I've read somewhere that J.K. Rowling did that, or possibly Neil Neil Gaiman. Who just like goes to some like really terrible hotel where the only thing to do is write, and there is no internet and nothing to do in this town. And yeah, I think it might have been Toni Morrison who yeah. did that, or was it? Um, oh gosh, I think women in particular, because you know, so so many women who are mothers. Mm. Running in the house is a nightmare. So there's a long history of like, you know, someone renting a motel room to, you know, or or I, I think there's there's even I, I do know uh, friends of mine who just they rent like a crummy hotel room for a week just to have a place to go. And there's <laughs> yeah. nothing else. You know how boring hotel rooms are. It's like, you know, if you unplug the TV eventually there's nothing to do and you yeah. like feel like writing <laughs> I, might, I might as well just right now <laughs> that's the only yeah, thing i can do yeah. with my time that's why i love planes i mean that's that's the thing about not traveling this year is i've always loved planes because i never pay for the wi-fi because i'm too cheap well yeah. that's great because that means that i actually get work done on the plane because i get so bored i'm like well i might as well work and i've you know i've figured out books on plane rides before oh. you know so that could work. So uh, this is one thing I've I've I started doing. So um, one of the 
one of the ways I distract myself from doing creative work is by trying to do those, you know, travel air mile point hacking things, which is very much yeah. a sort of $5 an hour activity. But I, I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing something productive because I'm procrastinating from writing for one of my videos and stuff. And so over the years, I, I racked up enough points to sort of be like last year, I got one of those buy one, get one free vouchers. And my mom and I came back from Japan uh, on British Airways business class. Uh, cool. And that was like, whoa, whoa, this is like very sort of a fancy ass experience. But then while I, was, <laughs> yeah. while I was on the flight, I thought, okay, let me figure out a way to turn this into a business expense. And so I, I filmed myself doing work and studying for an exam, which invo- involved a lot of writing and sort of reading this book about cardiac physiology. And that, was, that, that video was sponsored by Audible, which was quite nice. And it also just did really well as a video because people enjoy seeing like these study with me's where you're like filming yourself doing work so other people feel inspired to do it so now i've decided anytime i fly somewhere i'm going to do business class and then i'm going to film myself because then it's a business expense and if i do sponsored video out of it then it pays for the video great (laughs) there you go great see now this is the real (laughs) this is the and i'm always telling creative people i'm like look just learn a little bit of business stuff Mm. because because like you know then it becomes you can be creative about the business stuff too <laughs> you know andy warhol talked about that you know towards the end of his life i mean you have to take everything warhol said with a grain of salt just like any other artist um uh, but you know he talked about how much he thought there was a real art to business too and and that that you know if you can be artful in your business then that can contribute you know you get more time to and resources to make the art so yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got a real good mind for that. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. One one thing that was interesting. So, a few weeks ago, I I had a chat with Ryan Holiday um, about oh, yeah. sort of writing and, and various things. It was it was meant to be a chat about his new book, but it ended up me just mining him for writing advice. Uh, sure. And well, Ryan's a machine. I mean, Ryan's a friend of mine. Uh, he lives sort of outside of Austin, where yeah. I live. Um. So yeah, he's a good guy to talk to. Oh. Yeah, he was he was he was very very helpful. Um, yeah. The he's well, he said lots of interesting things, but but one thing that really stuck with me is he was talking about how occasionally you know to procrastinate from writing he thinks hey you know this uh, I feel like getting involved in real estate would be quite fun and then he kind of goes down this rabbit hole of becoming a, a like a realtor and then he, he occasionally speaks to speaks to friends of his who are actual real estate agents and they all would love to become writers of self help books like that is their goal <laughs> and he's like wait a minute. I am basically living their end game. I should right. enjoy it more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the grass is always greener. You know, it's just like what we said before. Mm. I mean, I see your I see your instrument. You know, we both have instruments in the background. Um, I've talked to so many writers who would just love to be musicians. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you talk to musicians and they're like, wait, you get to stay home and like you write things and people pay them for, you know, there's like, well, I'd love to, like, I know, um, I know at least one musician who quit to be a writer. Cause she was just like, I can stay home and write and be with my kids, you know? So it's like, there's always this like grass is always greener thing. But I do think too, you know, that it can be helpful to step away, you know, to step away from your work and try something else for a while and realize, Holy moly, I've actually got it pretty good. I have to do that every once in a while. You know, because I get, I get, you know, I'm just like anyone else. I get tired. I get tired of the, the, you know, the whole deal. Hmm. Um, and but then I, you know, you step away for a little bit, and you're like, oh, my big thing that's hard for me is if I don't do like a speaking event for a while, I'm just like, oh god, who wants to get up in front of people and blab 
what a horrible thing to do to get up on stage. Like what a massive ego you must have to get on stage and be like, here are my 10 tips for creativity, you know? And, but then I get on stage and I start talking and I start connecting with people. And then we do a Q and a, and I learn just as much as they do. And then I'm all jacked up on it. And I'm like, I am built for this. Like, Mm. this is what I'm built for. Like I was made to do this, you know? And I know Ryan feels the same way. Um, you know, but I, you know, you, you, you have to go away to come back sometimes and it's good to take breaks. And I know it's good to have, I mean, to have real hobbies because, you know, I turned my hobby into my profession. I mean, like reading, writing, that was, that used to be what I did to cool off from work, you know, and now it is work. So what's the other, you know, what's the other thing now? So to have, to have things in your life, whether it's cooking or quilting or playing the piano, you know, you got to have a hobby because, you know, or a family or something outside your work. Just, just if, just if to just have that space, I think, Yeah. you know? So, so is, is writing like the, your sort of full-time day job in inverted commas? Well, I mean, I always think about things in terms of income streams. Mm. And right now, yeah, like book sales are really what we live off of around here, which is really strange and actually kind of fragile. Yeah. And um, uh, but I make another good portion of my living from speaking. And then, you know, I make a little bit of a living from like affiliate links and stuff on my website but not a whole lot the big thing that we really are trying to work on around here we being my wife and i because we're we're sort of a team anyway but we're sort of trying to formalize that Mm -hmm. she's going to help me with a lot of the businesses you know we're trying to do smart things like ryan does which he has like a whole merch store for his like (laughs) daily coins 500 or something (laughs) yeah so like it's like um you you know i mean he's uh, so like i've got you know i've just got this massive i've got a decade old catalog of poems and artwork and stuff from the books that people want to put on their wall. And I have just been really lazy because I like my time, (laughs) you know? And so, yeah, it's, we're, so I don't know. I think of myself as a writer primarily, um, but I'm a writer who does things, right? So like, I'm like a writer who draws or, uh, you know, the, but, but I think, I think writer is essentially my identity. I think it's what I studied in school. It's what I always wanted to do. Um, But I am more, I sort of believe in, I don't really want to use a baseball metaphor, but there's something about careers where it's like, if you can have something that's sort of the core of what you do, but Mm. then you have like these other skills sort of on top of it, that make you sort of stand out and make you valuable in a way. So like for me, when I was first starting out, you know, there just weren't that many writers who knew internet stuff. Mm. I mean, that sounds so absurd now, but like when I got out of college in like 2005, I mean, blogs were still kind of like, you had to have like a little bit of expertise to know like, okay, how do I get an image up on my blog or like, how do I get my own domain? You know, it wasn't quite as plug and play as it is now. Yeah. Um, but I always felt like the web design stuff, because I always designed my own websites, that sort of set me apart. And then the fact that I did this visual art and I would go to I would go to like readings of famous writers and I would draw them 
as they were reading. And then I would post about their readings on my blog. And then I met a lot of writers that way. That was sort of like how I got started. You know, just trying to figure out like, okay, I essentially want to do this thing. But then I have these other things I'm really interested in. How can I sort of like keep all these things in my life and get them to talk to each other? Mm. Right. And so it was like I've always liked monkeying on computers and coding and stuff like that. And I always like to draw and I always like to write. OK, well, what what kind of life can be if not a career? You know, like what kind of life can come out of this? Oh, and I think yeah. that, you know, that's that's so much. And I know that you're someone who, you know, you've got your your different it's trying to figure out how to have all those pieces in play, right? That you create a life. And, and, and the thing I heard years ago that my friend Stephen Tomlinson, he lives in Austin here, um, he told this amazing story uh, that's in Steel Like an Artist, but I'll, real t- I'll, I'll retell it if you don't mind. It, it's, he, was, um, he, he went to his advisor, and he was like, I love God. So he was thinking about going to the seminary. I love theater. And he's like, so he loved writing plays, but I also love business. And I, uh, I love to, you know, I love like thinking about business and building businesses and being an entrepreneur and all that stuff. He's like, which one should I choose? And his advisor was just like, that's the dumbest question anyone's ever asked me. <laughs> he was just like, if you love all these things, if, if you, if you're passionate about all these things, your work in your life will be to figure out a way to keep all these things in your life and if you keep them all in your life they will start to speak to each other Mm. and you might not have a career but you'll have a life out of that and um the thing i tell people all the time is like you know you can cut something out of your life in trying to drill down and like i'm going to focus on this one thing like i'm not going to play guitar anymore because i'm going to be a writer you know and it's like you can cut that passion off but there will always be this weird phantom limb pain and that will always sort of there will always be a little part of your brain or your neurons they're still connected to that thing it'll still bother you it'll like haunt you whereas if you just keep that thing in your life you never know what you might discover you know i mean you might be like playing some dumb riff and and get that great idea for your book you know so it's just i think that we're a culture that everyone's so like sort of pressured to specialize now Hmm. but i really think keeping things in your life staying passionate about two or three things and letting them speak to each other it just it makes the whole thing richer and i really do think that if you can get over that initial problem of like what what to do with myself you know because that was really the thing when i was starting out it's like I would go to like a new job or something. I'd be like, well, I'm into this, this and this. And they'd be like, well, we just need a copywriter, dude. Yeah. What are you, which one, <laughs> yeah. you know, but if you can get past that, that, that first hump of it, it, it the life that you get is, is so much richer and so much more meaningful. Mm. Sorry. Yeah. That was like turned into a sermon, but no, it's, I, a, very, I it's really a very good sermon. <laughs> and I feel like there's probably people watching this that they're like, oh, I just love these two things. and I just can't figure out which one to pick. And the answer is you don't. You don't pick. You figure out a way to keep these things around. And that's true even, you know, I talk to so many people who are like, especially right now, because they know I'm a dad. Mm. And they'll be like, man, I just, I've got this family and I've got my job. And like, I just don't know, when am I going to paint? 
And it's like, I don't know, but you got to figure it out. You got to figure out some way of painting. I don't know if it's you paint on the back of a cereal box when you're hanging out with your kids or you just, I don't know what it is, but you got to do it or it's going to die, you, you know, and you're going to die, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's not about work-life balance. It's, it's about just the juggling. It's like, and there's also that thing where you have to know what season you're in. Like, I remember when my kids were really little, I just, you know, it's such a, it's so, it can be so dark and so hard when you have like little kids and you're involved in their care. Um, sometimes I, I, you know, there was a part, a point at which I said, you know, I'm just gonna, this little notebook, that's going to be my writing. I'm going to scribble things when I get a minute and this is just going to be my writing for a little while. And, and that was, that had to be enough for a while, you know? Uh, it, but this is also where I think you have to find the right role models. Cause like, I think for example, I have been much more, you know, when I'm trying to like keep, be, stay a good family person and also be a worker, a, a writer, um, you know, famous women writers have been much more instructive to me about how to do that because traditionally they're the ones that have had to do it. So someone like Ursula K. Le Guin, you know, she used to say babies eat books, <laughs> but they spit them out in bits and pieces and then you can put them back together later. Oh. You know, so it's just that kind of encouragement. You just have to find the right models, you know, and sometimes there just isn't a model for what you want to do, you know, so you just have to like, really expand your sort of who you look to but it's you know it's tough but that's the work you know people think that oh it's just about making stuff it's just about me sitting down like writing the right piece and it's like no it's the whole creation of this whole life that's the work you know it's 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 everything it's it's from the minute you get up to the minute you go to bed you know the work doesn't end just because you walked away from the page Oh man, so many, <laughs> so, so, so many ideas that sparked as you were. <laughs> and I will say talking. that yeah. all this stuff, this is all stuff that I struggle with on a daily basis, yeah. which is why it's so, you know, all of these books I either wrote for me in the past mm. or, you know, keep going or wrote for myself. Cause I was just like, how am I going to wake up every morning in America in 2017 and keep my head? Mm. Like, how am I going to do this? And I had to have a roadmap. And so I wrote Keep Going for myself. And I think a lot of those books, what we talked about at the beginning of our conversation, they're written by a dude trying to figure stuff out. <laughs> and, and you know, I think part of the reason they resonate with people is because, hey, this is stuff I'm figuring out as I'm writing. Yeah. You know, so it's it's fresh and it's hot and it's, you know, it's bubbling. Mm. Yeah. So, so one of the things that that we that that you just mentioned is this idea of kind of come figuring out a way to juggle all of your interests. And one thing that I've always found is if you can find, you know, as as you've done it, if you can find a way to combine different interests, you then carve out an interest, interesting space for yourself. Um, you know, in your case, it would be writer who draws and who also does the website stuff. It just automatically makes you <laughs> sort of one of the very few people, if not the only people in that category. Um, for me, it's like sort of being a doctor who's into tech and kind of productivity and just like spends loads of time just sitting in front of a computer being a nerd and making websites and stuff and figuring out ways yeah. to be like, oh, okay, interesting. There's actually sort of some very viable business 
businesses that can be built on top of just these kind of base interests. Um, do you have any advice for people who feel like, because I get a lot of, I, I, I talk to a lot of people who feel that, yeah, it's, it's easy for you to say you're a doctor and you taught yourself to code when you were 12 and, you know, blah, blah, blah. That, that, those are very like legible, easy things to like tack together and be like, hey, this is a, a product. Do you have any advice for people who feel like they don't have their own sort of things that they're passionate about or interests or, or at least sort of interests that lend themselves very nicely to monetization, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, I just think that, uh, well, it's hard for me because I never thought I'd make, uh, let me back up. So when I started out, when I got out of college, the people I looked up to were cartoonists and poets, not really big earners, (laughs) like not a lot of money in that racket, unless you like end up like steven hillenberg and you do like spongebob or something like that you know or bill watterson or or uh, you know someone like that um i always just figured i'd have a day job and i just figured i just work for like the state or something and i'll just have some job that i could check in and check out and do my thing on the side so i never really i only did stuff that i really cared about for better or worse and i think for me with 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 the whole um if you just want to make money you know there's you can like that's that's like a whole different thing the you know the the art is really like doing something that you're interested in that provides meaning to you and that makes a difference in the world that you can also make a living from that's the really hard thing right um but i think for people i i would spend some time Something I'm really passionate about right now is how people can really get in touch with what they're truly interested in. And I know that sounds very basic, but I think we're a culture right now in which if you don't have anything you're obsessed by or interested in or something that you pay close attention to, the world will provide it for you. And it might not be the thing that makes you tick. So, for example, like, I think of it this way. Like, when the internet started, when you signed on to the internet, I mean, I just, I remember being, like, 15 and having dial-up internet where you literally had to, like, connect with a modem and the, (laughs) you know, all that stuff. Um, And, like, you couldn't just, like, there wasn't, like, Twitter it, you literally had to like type something into a box and try to find whatever. So there was like this moment where you had to actually think about what you wanted to find on the internet, right? Like you had to sort of think about, well, you know, like, oh, I want to look up some Radiohead lyrics or like, oh, I'm trying to figure out how to play this Green Day song or whatever, you know, like, yeah. like, or, you know, whatever. Nowadays, the minute you open your, like, the minute you open up, like, your average site it's just like pours in at you and there's a feed right like if you open up instagram there's your feed and i always think about the search versus the feed Hmm. and and you know feed to me sounds like a pig at a trough you know like you just (laughs) show up and they just shovel the stuff you know whereas the search is like search is mystical search is more like search is more self-motivated and you're putting your tentacles out into the universe 
And so I guess my advice to people is to make sure that you're not being fed your interests like and you're actually searching for your interests. And I think one way to do it is to just think about what you wanted to be when you're, you were we and small, as Alistair Gray says. You know, what What were the things that, like, you really wanted to do that you sort of lost, like, someone either beat it out of you or you got dissuaded from it or you just, like, lost touch? Because, yeah. I mean, my kids are so passionate. They're five and eight, but they have interests that are so razor sharp and laser focused. Um, and they just don't they're they're undeterred and they they have encouraged me in my life to think deeply about what i actually care about because you can get to be 30 40 50 60 70 years old and not know not really know what you're truly passionate or what you care about because you just sort of let the world oh you know someone i knew was a real estate agent and i you know or whatever you know whatever it is which is fine um but you know it's like things can just you can just be kind of handed things by the world or pushed things and you don't really think about like what you really want to do now with that said i think that people are much better served by forgetting about what noun you want to be and think about what verb you want to do Oh, so nice. so like so gonna write this down. not not I want to be a doctor. Yeah, but I'm really interested in learning about the body and I really like helping people or I'm really, you know, or or back or we'll do something else. Not a novelist, but I love words and I love to write. Focus on that, because then if you. Or like, well, I really, you know, for me, it's like, well, I really like to write and I really like to draw and I really like to monkey around on computers. You know, if you think about the verbs you really like to do, then your possibilities are are much more that'll take you way further than just focusing on some noun. Because I know people that are like, I want to be like a director or, you know, I want to be a novelist or I want to be a. Uh, you know, I want to be a, 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 you know, just some job title. Yeah. The job you want might not be invented yet, right? I mean, that's a that's an old line. You know, if you think about the things you like to do and what you're interested in, and you follow those paths, I think that can kind of unlock things for you. Because, you know, 10 years ago, if you'd have told somebody, you know, now kids are like, well, I want to be a YouTuber, right? <laughs> I mean, um, 10 years ago, people would be like, what? What are yeah. you talking about? You know what I mean? So, so these, there, and there will be something else that comes up that we don't know about right now, you know? But I think that, so I think there's this balance between finding what you're personally passionate about, but then being flexible and understanding that you're part of a context in which you had no part in choosing. Mm. And that you have to remain flexible. I just read a book called um, the, the, the Comedy of Survival. It was written by this guy named Joseph Meeker in the 70s. It's very, it's very hard to find. It's very expensive. 
I got a secondhand copy somewhere. But what Meeker talks about is that there are essentially two modes in Western culture. There's the tragic mode and there's the comedic mode. There's the comedy mode. Mm-hmm. The tragic mode is when someone says, I want to be a great person and I'm going to change the world through my own, you know, like I'm I'm going to be this great person. I'm going to change the world with my own efforts and I'm going to be somebody. That's like the tragic mode. That's like the setup for tragedy a lot of times, because a lot of times, even if you get what you want and you become this great person, there's usually like a fall or you've got some like flaw that takes you down or you just don't make it and you're like done for. Mm. The other mode is the comic mode in which you're you're like you might have little interests and passions and stuff, but you're very much about like taking the world for what it is and maneuvering through that world and staying afloat and staying loose and you know it's more of the bill murray mode of going through life you know and so there's 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 a balance obviously between the two but there's there's this sense in that you have to kind of know who you are and what you're passionate about what you're interested in but then remain flexible as far as what the context you're living in is and i this is why Um, When I talk to young artists, I'm like, you know, you might want to be Picasso or Agnes Martin or, uh, uh, you know, Andy Warhol or Georgia O'Keeffe or whatever, but they existed in the specific time that you will never be able to replicate. And so you have to think about what it is about their work that sort of sets you off and what you can kind of take from them that's like a verb you know, and then match that kind of whatever it is to whatever context you're in. Does that make sense? So it's like, you know, you love you love punk rock, you love the clash, but like that was a moment in time. You can't just be the clash. You've got to like do what the clash did, but in your own space, you know. So you have to do a little bit of this this work of figuring out what you really love about your heroes, because I do think that we're brought to our work by the work of others. I think that we're, you know, we're sort of, that's, that's how we show up to our own work is that we're inspired by the work of others. And that makes us want to do that work, but then you have to update it for your own context, you know? And I think that's the, that's the, um, that's the real artfulness of it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I really like that sort of the, the, this is something that I've, been struggling with recently and i I say struggling in air quotes because it's very much it it feels very much like a first world problem which is that so for the last like eight years my whole identity has been this uh i am i am a medical student and then later i am a doctor you know this is my thing and now i'm taking a bit of a sabbatical from medicine i kind of joke i jokingly tell people i'm unemployed because you know from from august i've been taking a break and people tell me that it's it's offensive to say i'm unemployed because that's offensive to people who are actually unemployed but you know that's right that's a a side a side thing and one thing that has kind of come back to me now is that i i now struggle to internally define myself like what is my identity here um it was it used to be very easy it's like i'm a doctor who does youtube on the side what am i now i feel like you know i sometimes think am i a full-time youtuber that god that seems a bit depressing um, but although, you know, again, grass is greener, I get, I, I guess to some people, full-time YouTuber sounds like the absolute dream. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. Or if I think that, I guess, I mean, I've got a weekly podcast, so I guess I could call myself a podcaster and, and I keep on <laughs> trying to come into this, like, you know, labeling myself with a noun 
But actually, the way I, I actually think about it is, well, yeah, I just kind of just kind of wander around on the internet. Occasionally, I make a few videos. Occasionally, I write stuff for my newsletter. Occasionally, I'll meet up with people for coffee. It's just you know, this is just my life yeah. now. Um, and there's a guy called uh, Paul Millard. I don't know if you ever come come across him on the internet. Sounds kind of interesting, or not interesting, uh, familiar, but I don't I don't so know right away. Um, so he is well, he's he's he's, he's uh, he and I connected through Twitter. Um, he writes a lot about. So he used to be like a management consultant working at like McKinsey or something for like 10 years and then okay. recently quit his job and then is now kind of wandering, <laughs> wandering the US. And he really he writes a lot of stuff about this idea of workism and being a worker and how this is like a thing that society really focuses on. Oh, yeah. On. And he talks about how when, when these days when, when people ask him, what do you do? He says, well, you know, I, I spend some time with friends. I read a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And he can just tell that the alarm bells and like just it do, just does not compute with people when you like you, you can't define yeah. yourself as I am a worker. I'm a consultant or, right. or whatever. <laughs> so. Well, so um, I just think that's the culture. I mean, it's 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 capitalism, but it's also this sort of modern you know what are you doing for the system (laughs) kind of like how do you contribute yeah uh type thing (laughs) i i have had there are two things that come to mind um i find it really i believe deeply in idleness Mm. (laughs) and laziness yeah idleness is not the same as laziness idleness is is a different thing. There's a real art to idleness, but there, there are several great writers who wrote about doing nothing. And there've actually been some really wonderful books. There's a great book by a, a woman named, um, uh, uh, Jenny O'Dell called how to do nothing. Oh. Um, and it's sort of her book about, uh, you know, resisting this attention economy yeah. basically is, is, but she, that book is great. And it, it, it's sort of, um, Jenny, sort of has some of the same she she points to some of the same people that i do and keep going like um henry david thoreau is a is a big one for me um now thoreau's the kind of guy that people like sort of start to like oh god didn't he isn't he the guy that went out into the woods and then his mom did his laundry you know it's just this just inane stupid laundry thing that follows him around now but um and, and and throws also the victim of his followers tend to be these men who like go out in the wilderness and like die because you know? mm. they're like trying but throw is so much more interesting for um you know he was writing about 150 years ago and he was really he was grappling with all these issues like well, what if I don't want to have a job? You know, like, what if all this work looks to me like it's meaningless? You know, I mean, he's just asking these real basic questions. And he's like, all these jobs that I see are, you know, alienating from the environment and they ruin the woods and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, I think it can be really helpful to read ancient. I'm I'm with Ryan, you know, Holiday, who you talked to recently. One of the passions that we share is old books. Hmm looking you know not just um you know not just expanding your reading in terms of contemporary reading but going back deeply into the past my my friend alan i don't know if that book is around my friend alan jacobs just wrote a book called breaking bread with the dead is the name of it and it's all about reading old books and going back in time and realizing that a lot of the problems we deal with right now 
people wrote about him 150, if not a thousand years ago. Um, and so like the other guy I really like on this topic of like being productive and doing nothing is, um, uh, uh, Tom Hodgkinson wrote a book about uh, called how to be idle. And it's also a magazine, the idler. And he wrote a great book for parents called the idle parent, which Ooh. my wife and I actually have the manifesto on our refrigerator. Okay. Um, but you know, it's this sort of resistance against productivity. And I, and I have written a little bit about this lately. Um, you know, the times when you're most creative are not necessarily the times when you're most productive. Um, and as a creative person, I feel both like a workaholic mm. and also deeply lazy. And I used to try to work out these two things. Like, why is it that I love to sit around and do nothing and just daydream? But also I'm like compelled to like make a hundred pieces of artwork in one day. Like, what is this? And I realized that they're connected, that it's the periods of inactivity the deep laziness or idleness that I feel that like lead to some of these creative bursts. And then I just have to like kind of exist. The tension between these two poles is, is sort of what kind of makes the work. And that's kind of the friction that makes things kind of interesting. I'm mixing metaphors, mm -hmm. but you know, this idea that I also think it's instruct, you know, I, I think that people like Thoreau or, uh, you know, uh, Jenny O'Dell, they, they figure out pretty quickly that if you look to the natural world, uh, the natural world supplies you with the metaphors that you really need to feel like a whole person because plants go dormant in the winter. Mm. Animals hibernate. In spring, all the work gets done, or the you know things blossom, and then in the fall, they're harvested. You know, this, this idea that there are seasons and that there are periods of... of frantic activity and then there's periods of dormancy and knowing what season you're in and 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 letting it do its work and doing the work appropriate to the season that was that was you know the great that was the great theme of Thoreau is to to know what season you're in and and live accordingly and that's just about being around for a while taking notes on yourself sort of you know there's a there's an art of paying attention to what you pay attention to, you know, in a sense there's, there's, there's know thyself, you yeah. know, it's, it's knowing your rhythms and your patterns, you know, knowing, uh, do I, am I a morning person? Am I an evening person? Do I, you know, am I better in the winter or am I better in the summer? You know, these are basic things that we're really not taught to know, to think about in, in turn, because like, you know, it's you're supposed to be a, a productive worker every day, yeah. and, and and you show up and and you work and and you should be you're you should be like a machine. You know, you should you should be productive all the time, but that's just not how anyone's ever worked. I mean, even if you look at like agrarian societies, they have way more free time than we did because there just wasn't as much to do. You get the plant, you work like a you know you work like a beast when it was time to plant. But then you had to wait around for the plants to come in, you, you know, it's stuff like that. Or, you know, you did all your hunter gathering and then you like, you know, there was time to fill, you know. So it's it's this constant, you know, tied to the clock productivity. Yeah. And I think it can be fun to go back to some of the original texts that kind of birthed these. This is something I'm interested in as someone who wrote a book that did very well, that sort of like didn't invent a genre, but like sort of like was this book that then kind of became, you know, it's been a little bit emulated since then. 
Not that I wasn't stealing and copying mm. from people. I think it's interesting sometimes to go back to original texts that kind of start movements because like Dave Allen's getting things done. Yeah. I finally read that a couple of years ago and it, I just like picked it up and I was like, God, this looks so lame. It's yeah. like this dude in the suit, dude in the suit, suit smiling. Yeah. Like my, <laughs> yeah. you know, like just like some business CEO yeah, guy, exactly. whatever. And I remember like, Oh, here we go. But I found a copy in Goodwill and I learned a lot from this experience. I came to that book with such like, this can't be good. Everyone loves this book. It can't be good. Mm. It's great. And it's actually way more zen. And like, it's much more, it's not about productivity. It's it's almost more about like how to live the life you want to live mm. kind of thing. So Dave Allen's basically like saying like, you know, look, you, you productivity is just about like living your life. Like these tips just, help you get things done so then you can go do whatever you want afterward. Mm. You know, like there's there's a real like sort of I don't know, there's almost like a it's not Buddhist, but it's there's this kind of real Zen to that book that I wasn't expecting. And it's something that I deal with now because so many people have read Steel Like an Artist and it's kind of like this thing in the culture now that I'll get like 18 year olds now, they're like, oh, that book like yeah i saw that was on like you know it's it's that kind of thing and it's it's a good problem to have but it's yeah. still like when you become like sort of canonical not canonical but just like when you're popular yeah you can't dismiss things immediately because they're popular, <laughs> because they're popular yeah you know they're popular for a reason mm. you know it might be a bad reason but like in dave allen's case like i think it's a really good reason because i think that book is great but i do think that it's sort of like nirvana as a band, like Nirvana comes in and they're just like Kurt Cobain writes incredible songs and they just have this muscular, you know, Dave Grohl's such a great drummer and they just worked so well as a band. Nevermind comes out and it's just, it gets blamed for so many bad things that came after, you know, okay. like yeah. everyone was like, okay, well now we have to have loud guitars yeah. and wear, <laughs> you know, wear flannel shirts and whatever. But like going back to the original source, that's why Thoreau drives me crazy because people hate him so much, but they've never actually read his stuff, you know? Yeah. Whereas like for me, I, you know, the minute I started reading his journals, I just thought this guy is like, He's like overeducated. He really loves plants. He's upset about the government. He like lives with his parents. I'm like, he's a millennial. Like this dude, <laughs> this dude is like a millennial. He can completely like he. Everyone in my generation should be reading this guy. <laughs> so yeah, I always think swimming upstream, going to the original source, reading the material for yourself, <laughs> is is always a valuable thing, no matter who you are. Yeah, and what. Yeah, that's really interesting. This is something I'm I'm trying to sort of make more of, more of an active effort to do because a lot of the stuff that I read is like it feels very contemporary and very canonical. Um, but every time, like like for example, if I reread Getting Things Done, I'll always pick up interesting things from it. Or even if yeah. I reread like the Four Hour Work Week, which you know at this point has almost become a meme. Uh, yeah, but it's still like a fantastic book that started me off on this journey of like oh passive income yeah. and stuff. And I think. Tim Ferriss is one of those people who's gotten who's gotten so big that now people sort of he's so big that it's cool to hate on him in a way. Sure. Um, and 
often like one of the few Tim's things that, also, yeah. uh, the thing that i i mean i don't know tim real well or any i mean i've never met him but um tim's sort of like dealing with that too mm. i've i've noticed from afar like he's almost sort of like i can tell he's sort of investigating himself and his success and is trying to like sort of expand himself mm. and so i think that's really interesting i'm always interested in what people do with success um yeah. because you know, there's a great documentary called um, Supermensch um, that Super was Mensch. directed by Mike Myers, and it's about his manager, Shep Gordon. Yeah. And it's a, amazing. You know, Shep Gordon was like Alice Cooper's manager, and okay. like he helped a lot of the celebrity chefs become famous. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, what he says about fame is just amazing in that movie. He just says, like, fame is such a worthless thing on its own that he's it's very hard to survive, you know, and that it's uh, Mike Myers actually says, and when I say Mike Myers, it's like Austin Powers, the comedian, you know, the, the actor, yeah. um, Wayne. Uh, Wayne from Wayne's World is who he is to me. But, um, you know, Mike Myers calls fame the industrial runoff of creativity that, you know, mm. it's, it's like this toxic thing. And so I'm really interested in what people do with their fame because there are people that, you know, really seem to survive it in a way. And it's usually like it's because someone like sort of doesn't clam up, but like expands outward. So I mm. think like someone like Dave Eggers, for example, um, I think he's so Dave Eggers, like, you know, he he put out a, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius. It was just this juggernaut book, this memoir that came out and he just became this kind of literary wonder boy kind of person. But then he did McSweeney's and started this publishing empire and he started the 826 um writing workshops in america and now he's sort of this person who has really used his fame for such good things and Mm. he's still working and i think it's really in some ways i find it more interesting you know to kind of judge people by what they do for their fame more than their failure because it really can mess i mean success can just really mess up an artist big time or any kind of creative person it's just very easy to break down. It's just, it's not, it's not very, it's the money's great. You know, like, like money is great. Cause it gives you like resources and time and stuff like that. But fame, mm, fame is very tricky for creative people. Mm. You know, I mean, you really have to walk a, a, a line there. Um, Dolly Parton's an interest. <laughs> I just watched a Dolly Parton documentary and she's a really wonderful, I mean, she's a genius and a great artist, uh, but she's someone who it's very interesting to look at her career and think about the things that she kept private and then the face she kind of gave the world versus what what was inside. And, you know, these are very tricky things to navigate. And it's all part of the work because everyone wants to, you know, be successful. You know, usually when you get in this racket, you want to be successful or mm-hmm. You want people to know your work or see your work, but there are things that come along with that that you have to navigate 
and you just have to i think that's why you know sort of knowing your heroes and and the people you admire and the people you look up to and and kind of be ready for that stuff is i think it's really important yeah yeah famous <laughs> one of those like really interesting things where it's one of those things that so many of us chase uh and it's i i, I guess it's like the money thing like you know people who are rich say that well money doesn't solve all your problems everyone's like well it's easy for you to say you're rich and it's (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those things where kind of i guess we all want want fame to some degree um i think it's alain de Botton who says that the mark of good parenting is when your kids have no desire to be famous (laughs) it's one of my favorite favorite lines and uh, elaine's another guy that like you know he's kind of really so well known and stuff it's very easy to be like but the stuff he's done with the School of Life, mm. for example, I think that's expansive, right? He built something outside of himself that, you know, And but that line I've thought about a lot with my kids because when you want to be famous, there's usually something wrong with you. There's some hole in you that you're trying to fill, and that's what Shep Gordon writes about. There's definitely was one for me you know, for me in the beginning, I mean, I grew up, you know, I grew up with, uh, you know, I grew up in a really rural area. Nobody I knew cared about the same things that I did. Mm. Um, until I met like my really, my best friend in sixth grade. Um, you know, I met my best friend. He was a musician. He was a drummer. He loved George Carlin records, you know? And like we, I remember meeting him in Sunday school and we both, we're at the piano and we just like, Oh, you're like me. Mm. Right. And, and like immediately there's this glue between you and you help each other get through this thing until you can leave, you know, town. And for me, it was always about like, I think my hole that I went to fill was just like, I just wanted to be around people who cared about the same things I did. And that's where, you know, so much of the blogging and the sharing came from, I just figured like, if I just show up and talk about the stuff that I love, you know, maybe people who love the same stuff will show up Mm. and I'll meet some cool people. That really was all I wanted to do. And I, I remember years ago being at South by Southwest, the music festival, the, the culture film art tech fest that happens here in Austin. And, um, I was with a bunch of my friends that I'd put this panel together because that's what that's another thing I used to do. I used to be like, who would I love to meet? Let me invite them to be on a panel with me at South by Southwest and we'll I'll interview them and we'll hang out yeah. or whatever. Um, and I, I remember like talking to my friend Maris. We were sitting at a table with, you know, a, a, you know, a couple other friends that was on this panel. And I was like, what do you guys think the best thing about this is like the work that we do? And we were sort of like, when we were sitting around, I was like this, this is the best thing right here. We all know each other because of the work we do. When we met, there wasn't any small talk. Mm. We knew we just, we sat down we had barbecue together and we were friends because like we know each other's work and like, we just, we know the crew we're in, but now we're like in person and like, I still think that's true. That's still the coolest thing. You know, out of all this, it's still that like when someone I respect is like links to a blog post of mine, 
know, still just like, oh my God, you know, like we're like we're peers now. And that still is the best thing for me is just that now I have all these people that care about the same. I'm in touch with all these people that care about the same stuff that I do. And that is still that, you know, that's all I ever wanted when I was younger. It's all I wanted. And, and now I have it. And then it's like, what do you do now? Well, you grow that, you know, you grow that circle of people who care. Right. It's like, well, you've, you, you keep sharing your interests, you keep sharing your passions and you keep this spirit of you can sit next to us. You can sit at our table, mm, right? Like yeah. you, you can come sit next to us, you know, trying to, trying to build that. Cause that, that to me is, is, is still what I'm trying to do. I'm still trying to say, you know, you can, you know, I'm I'm still just like I'm tossing this stuff. All these things are invitations. Yeah. You know, every piece I put out here is an invitation to come hang out. You know. Yeah. Honestly, I'd 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 say that's also my kind of favorite part about about this whole thing. And partly the reason I invite people on these deep dives is to so I can be friends with them and be like, hey, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like a pretty good excuse to pretty good <laughs> just kind gig, of chat to right? someone for like two hours. Like, um, we've been here talking and yeah, and then. I had I had this experience a few days ago where I, w- I was in London and I Twitter DM'd someone who I follow who also writes about like productivity and things and has a blog. And we met up for coffee and we just kind of chatted for like three, four hours and just like immediately hit it off that like no small talk, just like I was very familiar with her work. She was very familiar with mine. And it just felt like this very kind of energizing space. Um, another thing that I, I found really helpful is, uh, well, I say, I say helpful, but like one idea that I've stolen from a programmer uh, called Patrick McKenzie, who I follow, I used to follow on Hacker News. He had this thing where uh, he he lives in Tokyo and, and now works at Stripe, but he had this he has this thing on his website where he's like, if you're passing through Tokyo and you want to talk software, hit me up and I will buy you a coffee, no questions asked. And I just thought wow. that is such a nice thing to do. So now what I do is that I have on my website, hey, if you email me, coffee at aliabdal.com, we can, we can hang out. And so every Tuesday, I just hang out in Cambridge Town Center in the same coffee shop and people just come and have a chat. And it's always so nice. <laughs> wow. And that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, so it's usually just like, no, I don't, I can't, I look, I can't meet with you, man. Yeah. You've got I, you I, know, I, an eight year old, you've got a five year old, yeah. you got a family. Like, I have, yeah. I'm hoping that like, you know, I'm hoping that I can, I hope I'm hoping that, I mean, it, you, you have to protect your time, mm. but that's just so cool. Like come, but so that's, so literally, you're doing what I'm trying to do virtually, literally. You're saying, hey, come sit next to us. Come hang out, you know. But that's what I'm trying to do in, like, my newsletter that I send out every week. It's like, I'm just trying to say, hey, like, how you doing? Here's some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you next week. You know, just that idea is sort of having a show is really appealing to me. Just yeah. that having a show? I show that's up cool. here in your inbox every week, and you hear from me, and I'll show up next week if you want, and if you don't want me to, no big deal. You know, you know, it's it will, but we'll we'll get like a little bit of time together. You know, I don't know. Yeah, like you, you've definitely given me an idea with the self self destructing thing because I think it it would just be actually like quite fun to sort of write this book in public, uh, but kind of maybe do it from from these like daily emails, which a will force me to show up and do writing every day. But, yeah, you know, for for whoever wants to read my first drafts my crappy first drafts they're welcome to and if they don't want to hit the unsubscribe button and, and no no hard feelings um yeah. how how do you think so 
how do you think about where these sort of friendships with other people on the internet, sort of to paraphrase that, where, where does that fit into your, like, how you think about your whole, your, your social life as a whole? Like, presumably you have some, like, sort of real, real life friends from your town slash school slash couple of friends and stuff. And then there's, like, the internet friends or, like, other authors. Like, how, how does that all yeah. mesh together? I mean, it's, you know, I think as I get older... I mean, the thing that I find really obnoxious about life mm. in general is that a lot of the cliches turn out to be true. That's <laughs> certainly true of parenting. Yeah. Like every dumb cliche you've ever heard about parenting about like, oh, it's really hard and mm. you'd be tired and it goes really quickly and they grow up so fast. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it all comes true. And it's really annoying because yeah. <laughs> you're just like, I thought I was going to come up with something, you know. Um, but the, one of the cliches that I think is really true is it's just hard over time to know who your friends are mm. like, and to make new friends. And to, you know, you hit a certain age where it's like you can't afford to lose a friend, you know, because good friends are – they're just harder to come by. Yeah. You know, you can, you can make a – you know, you can make acquaintances, you can have fans from the internet, you you know, of course you can make new friends here and there, but, you know, friendship just takes so much time, and it's the thing you don't have as you get older, and, and um, so for me, it's sort of just like, sometimes it gets murky, because, I mean, some of my really good friends did start as online friends mm. or someone whose book I read or whatever. Um, I've gotten really lucky in that, you know, sometimes I've reached out weirdly and then discovered people. Uh, one of my favorite uh, stories is I was watching reading rainbow. I don't know if you know that show. It, like it's a show. I think it was bigger in America maybe, but it was this guy that, he got on LeVar Burton. He he got on and, and read these books and it was this show for kids about reading. Mm. And I was watching one of the old episodes with my, with my son, Owen. And there was this, uh, this, this tiny, like this tiny Indian kid who, who played uh, a violin. And he, at one point he says to the camera, he says, if you're careless and you make a mistake, everyone you're going to bring down everyone back to the drawing board and i got obsessed with this kid because because <laughs> I, I was just like he, he he this intensity i was just like oh my god i was like i had to i kept re-watching it again and it became this tagline around our house if you're careless and you make a mistake everyone you know you, we, we would drop up yeah. you know we'd like drop <laughs> a, a a dish in the and it just became this tagline yeah. so finally one day on twitter I said, y'all, we got to figure out who this kid is. Because he either became like a motivational speaker mm. or he like blew up a 7-Eleven and is in prison. <laughs> right. Like he just had a meltdown or something. Yeah. One of the two. And I just sent that into the universe. I was like, we got to figure out this kid. Found somebody who also went to Juilliard. Basically within an hour, we had located the dude. Mm. And his name is Vijay Gupta. He is he was the youngest violin chair in the LA Philharmonic. He has several TED talks. So he did in fact <laughs> because he runs this uh he runs this thing called Street Symphony in Los Angeles 
where they um, hook up with the homeless. They they give like they I th- they do a lot of work on Skid Row and mm-hmm. they do concerts for the homeless and stuff. Anyway, um, I, I was like, we found them. Oh my god! And I found him on Twitter and like at replied him. And I was like, yeah. dude, I'm sorry to like freak you out, but like we like had this manhunt and we found you or whatever. And he said, oh my god! He was just like, I love Steal Like an Artist. I, I love that book. And he's like, I am teaching a class at UT next week. Like, let's get tacos. So we like, <laughs> so, so VJ and I, we're like good friends. He's like, stay at my house now. And, and that's the kind of weird stuff that happens. But, but that was because, but I, I guess the reason I told that story is just that we're all connected now mm-hmm. we, the, in such a crazy way. But um, that that is one of my favorite stories. But a couple of things like that have happened to me. And it's all because I just have this network of people, this crew that I've acquired by just sending stuff out to the yeah. universe. <laughs> Showing your you work. know, it's just like you put your you show your work and like people help you out. But I love telling that story. And BJ and I, we, we whenever we see each other, we're just like we're kind of giggly <laughs> about how goofy it is. Yeah. You know, um, just the, you know, and he's got great stories about that because he was like Austin, you know, and I don't think he'd mind me saying this publicly, but like, he's like, you don't know how true you were. He was like, I went through a lot when I was a kid Mm -hmm. about like ambition and, and being driven and, and figuring myself out and stuff. He was like, you're right. Like I, it's either have a breakdown or conquer the world. And that was like what I had to navigate, you know, so it's just like this wonderful story. Um, but that is why I do this stuff. I just, I just want to meet other people. And I think that really all I've wanted is I've always just wanted, um, you know, some people like, you know, you almost just want cool cousins. Like, you know how, like you have that cool cousin that like, um, my aunt just died and, and this week, and I was thinking about my cousin, Andy, Mm. And I remember going to his house for the first time and seeing these, um, uh, seeing these drawings that he had done, mm. and just thinking, "Oh my God, you're you can do it! Oh, you can like draw a picture out of a magazine and like make it big and then put it up on your wall." I I just remember like I just remember like meeting like going to my cousins' houses for the first time and like looking at their CDs and like. Mm. They always had like they might have a Nintendo, you know, so that's like always been my dream is just like because I'm, you know, I have I have brothers and sisters, but they're they're like eight years apart from me. So like there's like the 16 year spread around. And so I never really had a close sibling. So I always felt like when I met my cousins, when I went to their houses and I'm just thinking about this because of Mm -hmm. my aunt, but it's like like um I just remember like being I just always loved being in other people's houses and like being in their rooms and like looking through their stuff. Mm. And in this weird way, we all have that ability now. We can kind of like share our stuff that we love. Yeah. And like I can kind of look through your record collection, you know, or like flip through your movies. I don't know, there's just like something about it that we have this way to share our passions now. And people can kind of like show up and hang out in our rooms, you know. I feel that way about my blog. Um, yeah. I feel like when people show up to my site, there's so much stuff that they can really get a real picture of who I am, you know, just just from it, and they can hang out with me whenever they want, kind of. 
Yeah. Yeah, like on that note, how how much do you think of your blog as like a sort of personal thing versus a sort of like a, a business asset, as it were? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, I don't... <laughs> a couple of years ago, I just decided like, I'm just not going to have analytics on my blog anymore. I just don't care. Oh, I, it's, I just don't care. So I don't really know how well Reddit is. I know all my like social numbers and my click-throughs on my newsletter and stuff, but I don't really know. I mean, I know hits and stuff, like big picture stuff. Yeah. But I can't tell you like what content is the most popular okay. or the posts or whatever. And I just did that because I was like, you know, I just have this faith that I've been blogging for 15 years. Mm. And I just have this faith that if I keep doing what I did in the beginning, it'll it'll continue to work. When it didn't work was when Show Your Work came out. Mm. And... I thought I'm I'm a fancy author now. Yeah. I'm a I'm a published person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to just have a personal blog. Yeah. I'm not going to just like, hey, I watched this cool documentary or, you know, here's a piece of artwork I did. You know, I'm not going to like make these piddly little posts. Yeah. I'll post like once a week when I have some deep like secret yeah. to share yeah. or whatever. And oh, it just got terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean the work suffered for one thing because The thing I've noticed is when I blog every day, which I don't right now, but I'm going to try to get back to it eventually, um, those posts that seem to really resonate with people, there are way more of them. And there's a great great story in uh, Art and Fear, the book Art and Fear, where there's this, you know, there's this pottery class and half the class is said, is told, you will be evaluated on how many pots you make. How many pots you throw? That is where your grade will come through from. The other part of the class was told, you will be evaluated on the quality of the final pot you make. Well, it turned out that the people in the group that was told to make as many pots as they could ended up with better quality pots than the ones that were told to just focus on quality. So like – there's something about quantity and frequency in blogging that I think leads to better stuff overall than if I just sat and waited for like this perfect post. And I, I can tell you that's happening to me right now. Mm. And there are two big posts I want to write and I'm just like trying to figure out, well, I've waited this long now, so it's going to have to be really good. Whereas if my dumbass had just written about the stuff as I was thinking about it, mm. there'd probably be three great posts about. You, you know, what I mean, it's that it's that thing of like you just get out of practice and it's harder to get back on. It'd be like a it'd be like a basketball player who like took a year off and then wanted <laughs> to get back on the court. You know, it's like it's it's like that. So um, I don't know. But to answer your question, I, it's kind of both. Mm. It's extremely personal, but then I also know that it's part of the show. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm just not. I have the luxury of not being real particular about business stuff, just mm. because I've been very lucky in the past couple of years that the books have sold really well, and I can kind of lean on that money. Mm. Um, but that'll go away, you know. I mean, books have lives and. You know, so I'm always I just try to stay flexible, mm. you know, and, and I, I I like saving. I like the fact that I haven't tried to monetize 
completely yet to just like really blow it out because that gives me something to look forward to, I guess. In a way, you know what I mean? Yeah, like there's still there's still work to be done. Of course, I'll probably try to do something and then no one will care about me anymore. <laughs> I would like to say to anyone starting out, that never goes away. You talk to any you talk to any person who's oh, God, doing yeah. work. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, like, like even like you mentioned Neil Gaiman earlier. It's like mm. he says that. He's like, I'm just waiting for the the knock. Right. Yeah. Like we're here. We've it's the it's the um you know the the phony police are here, the yeah. imposter police. We've come to take it all away from you. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yeah. this is something I think about every day. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you're, yeah, you're canceled. You're done. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. This is one of the things I, re- I really like about your blog is in that it feels like you are sharing stuff without worrying overly about the kind of quality of the things that you're sharing and that you know this patchwork quilt and stuff hey i discovered an interesting patchwork quilt it made me think about this i'm like oh that's 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 very nice it's it's the sort of thing i feel uh, what one thing i realized I, i was falling into is as my youtube channel has gotten bigger my bar for what i'm allowed to make a video about has gone higher and higher what i sort of the perceived quality and i know that this is bad and the thing I always tell people is, you know, this uh, pottery class example, or for example, I, li- I like the phrase that when it comes to YouTubing, your first 100 videos are going to be crap anyway. So just get those done and then you can worry yeah. about improving. But right. it, but obviously, you know, what I don't tell people is in the, in the process of doing a hundred, those 100 videos, you'll actually get really good and you'll enjoy the process and you might even get some viral hits. But, you know, that kind of vibe. And so what I've been trying to actively do is reduce my quality bar for putting something up as a YouTube video. Um, yeah and one thing I, I was i was i was really toying with was this idea of 100 videos in 100 days and i was going to do it for the final 100 days of 2020 and then various yeah. things happened and i was like okay well, well we'll do this some other time but i really like the idea of doing that sort of thing to just sort of have that as a reset of like okay yes i'm a million subscribers but that's that's like nothing fancy and i shouldn't use that as a reason to not be creative to not kind of do the work it would also, I'm always interested too in like, what if you just started over? I've always had this like, I've always wanted to like create an alter ego mm. and like start some project that's not even attached to me and just yeah. see if it would take off, you know, just, just as a kind of like, <laughs> you know, it'd be like, like, like just make up some alter ego and, and start an Instagram account yeah. and see if it would take <laughs> off. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, yeah, it's weird. I, I also would just encourage everyone, including myself and you is just to think long-term just to, just to kind of, you know, there's that thing that feeling that they're going to take it away from you at any moment, yeah. but there's also that, like, you might be here for a while. Mm-hmm. So like, give yourself the time and the space to become, you know, who you would like to be. Cause I don't know. It's just like every time I've tried to cash in or I haven't done it very often, but like every time I've tried to rush something or do something in a way that I just felt a little uncomfortable about, it just never, it just never turns out, you know, mm. it just, it's always, it's always for the wrong reason. And, you know, it's a, uh, there's a Chris, you know, there's a great Chris rock, thing where he says you know people say life is short no it's not especially when you make the wrong decisions <laughs> you know? it's like, yeah. life is long you know and uh <laughs> that's I, a very I good impression like, 
<laughs> you know, well, not really, but uh, but you know, um, I always feel like <laughs> I always feel like the best thing to do is like to sort of live your day like it might be your last, but also it's, it's that it's that tension between yeah. like this might be the last time this yeah. might be like the last chance i get but mm-hmm. also balancing that with like i'm going to be old one day yeah. you know like that feeling of like well the world is ending and like this is my last youtube video because mm. everyone's going to hate me after this one balanced with like i'm probably going to be old someday you know like just that that is so much what life is about is mm. like living the day and working as if it was your last, but also working as if you're going to get a thousand, you know, thousands more of them. You know, it's just that tension and that that's just like the muddling through of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I've started thinking about a lot more. This, this tension thing. Uh, I, I, I think about it in a lot in the context of kind of setting goals. Uh, Cause a lot of like yeah. productivity people are like big on the whole goal setting thing. Whereas yeah. you know, the other yeah. the other side of the yeah. equation is that well you know be satisfied with what you have and enjoy the journey and it's all about the climb and, and that stuff yeah. and it's that tension between those two things I mean, where previously yeah. I felt like I needed to resolve this tension but now I'm a lot more chill about yeah there's a tension it's a balance between self improvement and self acceptance and that's kind of fine. I just think that's part of maturing is is understanding that like is is understanding that there are dualities and there are spectrums that you just kind of like bounce around but also understanding that those i mean like that some of those polarities are artificial anyway you know that that's just like a construct that we've created too and to you know there's that but i like the tension i've i've realized that it's the it's the you know, one of Ryan's favorite books that's also one of my favorite books is Man's Search for Meaning oh, by... Yes, Frank- I, I read that like two weeks ago. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, so, so Frankel, yeah. you know, lived through the Holocaust and writes this book about, you know, how how does how does one... Like, what is the meaning of life? It's that, it's that big kind of book. And what Frankel says is like, man doesn't need a tensionless state, that people don't need tensionless states what they need is something to strive for and against. And and that actually it's the tension. What I get from Frankel is that it's actually the tension in life that keeps you tight and keeps things like, you know, it's, it's like, you know, like a guitar string, there's a nice, there's a nice tension where, um, if the guitar and guitar, you know, you could practice this. If you, even like with the regular piece of string, if you don't have a guitar, if the string is too loose, it won't make a sound. It'll just rattle, right? But if you wrench it too tight, it'll snap. Mm. So it's like finding that nice tension with the string where it can resonate and vibrate. That's what makes a guitar sound good. Mm. you know. So it's like having the right tension in your life that where things are tight and they're not sproinging and clanging, but they're also not snapping. <laughs> You're not snapped. Yeah, this is so, so. that also works with uh, with the um, wire walkers. It's the same way, like the dude who walked oh, uh, Philip Petit, yeah. like the like with a wire walker. You know, there's a certain amount of give that those you would think. Oh, you just want something really tight, and and but there's there's like a right tension to the tightrope walker. Mm. You know, that when he walks back and forth. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a guy called uh, 
uh, who was it? Uh, Donald, Donald, someone, Donald. We don't talk about Donald. We don't go with Donald. Donald. <laughs> no, Donald Chat. Yeah. It's too close, man. It's too close. No. Um, there's a guy called Donald Miller. That's his name. Uh, wrote okay. a book called what was it? A million miles in a thousand years, or something like. Yeah, that's okay. the title. It's uh, so he wrote a lot of books, and then uh, some Hollywood film crew approached him about turning his life into a movie. And as they were going through the script and trying to plan it out, he sort of realizes, hang on, uh, the thing they're 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 trying to dramatize my life, and he realized that, hang on, the things that make a movie or any story interesting is the tension and the struggle and the striving for something, and he realized that for him, once he had written a few books and had been quote successful, he had stopped striving for things and had stopped struggling. And then oh. at that point, he was like, oh, shit, I, I need to start struggling more. In my life. And, and sort of. And then he started actively going out of his way to do things outside of his comfort zone, like cycling, you know, a thousand miles across America, or finding his dad who abandoned him when he was young and long lost. And these things but from the mindset of I need this to be a good story. And that's something I think about a lot now, because I feel like for me, when when the YouTube thing started going well and all of a sudden it was like, okay, cool. I know that at least in the foreseeable future, I actually don't need to worry about the money side of life. Be like, okay, cool. I, you know, I, I guess I can do medicine part-time and do this sort of stuff. And after reading this book and, and doing this exercise called the, the Odyssey Plan, uh, which is where you kind of write, write in, in great detail what your life will look like five years from now along the same path yeah. and then five years from now along a different path, and then five years from now, if money and society were no, were no kind of factors that you had to consider, I realized that on the path that I was on, that actually there was no real struggle in there. It was very, very doable. And I could see myself just kind of breezing through and getting to this point where, hey, work as a doctor part-time, do a few teaching sessions on the side, just kind of chill. And that like yeah. really got to me. I was like, oh, there's, there's no struggle here. It just, it just doesn't seem that interesting. I don't, I don't know if you think about this sort of stuff at all. <laughs> I do because I've studied storytelling so Mm. much and there's a line in Steel Like an Artist where it's like, if you don't know what to do, think about what would make a better story. The the problem with that is that stories run on mistakes and Mm. problems and drama and you don't want to like blow your life up, but (laughs) then sometimes that's what's needed. You know, it's like, it's like, there is a, there's that tension. And uh, you know, I always find that Eastern thought helps whenever, whenever, like, whenever, like I'm too, whenever I'm thinking too, like linearly about, uh, life as in like life is about progress and like, where will I be in five years? I find that like, taking a detour and thinking more reading more eastern stuff where Mm. it's like if it's more zen or buddhist or or even someone like thoreau again who was very inspired by eastern writings rethinking okay well maybe it's not even like i'm someone who almost has abandoned the notion of linear progress in my life i i am someone who operates on a cycle model now i've 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 sort of decided that for right now my life will be more about cycles as in there's coming up with the idea for the book Mm. (laughs) there's writing the book and then there's putting the book out into the world and then there's coming up with the idea for the book you know there it's more like a spiral yeah 
um, and being okay with that, that repetition. And so sometimes it's a matter of not even thinking about a story in the way we traditionally think about a story because stories are artificial. I mean, you know, uh, life isn't about beginning, middle and ends mm. and rising and falling conflict. I mean, that's, mm. they're artificial to a certain extent. What is not artificial is cycles. The moon, you know, the, 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 the earth goes around the sun on a certain period mm. and the moon goes around the earth. And that's always been the case as long as we've known. And so there are, there are things in the natural world that are good metaphors, I think, for our lives that sometimes these structures that, you know, our culture has given us are, are, are just, you know, they're such a nice reprieve from that, mm-hmm. I guess, is what I'm, and I just, I just think like whenever I think, whenever I'm thinking too linearly, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I try to think, well, what's the nonlinear way of thinking about this? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. What's the what's the is this the right metaphor like thinking five years from now, you know, like is that is that the right thing? I don't know. I mean, people who think about their lives as. You know, how do you see your life? Do you see a timeline or do you see loops like this is this is such an interesting question. I'm just someone who's decided, you know, I've come around to the fact that the metaphors you use for your life are just they they. I mean, there have been several books written about this, um, but I I came around to it recently. Um, I was reading a lot of – I was reading this wonderful woman named Ursula Franklin, Mm -hmm. um, who was this feminist writer. She was a Quaker. She was a pacifist. She was a metallurgist professor. um, And, you know, she talked about war metaphors Mm -hmm. and, you know, like the war of art. Like I like Stephen Pressfield a lot, but I think, I think about the, what does that mean to think about art as a war? What does it think? Of, what does it mean to think about create creative work as in military terms? Yeah. Um, what does it? What does it mean to even think about art in terms of theft or or stealing? Yeah. That means that ideas are property, and mm. that's like a man-made event, you know. So like yeah. really investigating your metaphors. I mean, you can't take back books. But every metaphor is imperfect, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. So I'm someone that always tries to. I'm I'm trying. One of the ways that I've learned is I'm like maybe there are different metaphors, and sometimes when dudes, uh, dudes in particular, that's one reason I love reading women mm. and I love reading uh, feminist writers mm. is because it's really not about women having equal rights. I mean that's part of it for sure. But really, the great feminist writers give you a whole different way of thinking about the world, a whole different mm. model of how you structure your life that isn't based on competition or hierarchies. Yeah. It's non-hierarchical. Yeah. You know, so it's like stuff like that that I that I tend to think about a lot when I'm when I'm trying to like figure out my life. It's just, you know, just stuff, you know, just like maybe I've got the wrong metaphor. And I think the culture is dealing with that right now too. Is mm-hmm. and I think that so many young men, in particular, they're just given shitty metaphors. You know, that there's a, like life's a battle, and you there's winners and losers. I mean, like our president, for example. Yeah. I mean, our, our our you know the American president right now is someone who really believes in winners and losers, mm-hmm. and that is just that is such a toxic way for a leader to think, mm-hmm. because 
a leader who thinks that way will always think in zero sum terms. Yeah. You know, there there will have to be an uh, there will have to be a loser. And that's not how you run a society, mm-hmm. right? So I just, you know, this is just the stuff I think about. I think about it all the time. Like, how do we talk about creative work? Are there new ways of thinking about it? And I'm just always trying to evolve, you know, how I think about things. Yeah, I think kind of the metaphors we use have so much of the, a, yeah, it's just so important. <laughs> there's a book called Metaphors We Live By. Oh, and, and, I think that, and I think that that's, you know, um. But these are these are important things, you know. People people think, oh, a metaphor is just a metaphor. It's like, well, no. I mean, it's the whole structure of what you build your life on. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, like having like, I'm sure there's, I'm sure when you say goal, for example, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's an etymology of buying goal. Is that a soccer goal? Is that you know what I mean? You start thinking yeah. like, well, what is a goal? Is a goal something that did did primitive humans think about goal? Yeah. You know, what I mean, it's like this really interesting what thing, really right? Mean, yeah. And what the whole, does like, this smart mean? goal specific measurable? Like, uh, I yeah, mean, obviously, it's a rabbit hole, yeah. but I just I've just gotten to this point in my life where I'm just trying to like even rethink like what is this? What dopey metaphor have I been given that I shouldn't even? Maybe there's a completely different way to think about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so true. Like the one that I always I always use an example is just the way that we think about the word motivation. And in the past, I used to think of motivation as this is like this currency that I need to have in order to do something. And I just read right. that post that was like flipped on his head. I was like, nah, don't think about it like that. Like you can just do the thing without having the motivation for it. And all of a sudden it was like, yeah. oh my God, yeah, you're right. right. <laughs> this word motivation is totally pointless. <laughs> well, the thing that hit yeah. me recently when I was reading, keep, when I was writing Keep Going, yeah. I was thinking about the metaphors we use for creative work mm. and how many dopey metaphors, especially tech companies like to use. Like, um, yeah, uh, make your mark. You got to make your mark on the world. Mm. Or, you know, Steve Jobs used to say, uh, you know, put a dent in the universe. Or Facebook, you know, move fast and break things. And it's like, dude, these are all vandalism metaphors. Mm. Like, this is all. And so, you know, I was thinking about medicine. And Mm. I started thinking, like, first, do no harm. Right? Or you go to a park and it's like, leave it better than you found it. Mm. You know, like, there are all these different metaphors that maybe we're not thinking about creative work in the right you know and 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 it turns out they're in plain sight right because um you know you mentioned uh quilting earlier i've got real i've gotten really into quilting and not that i actually quilt but i do these like they're patchworks where i take little pieces of tape and magazines and i make what look like quilts but Mm. they're really they're technically patchworks because quilts have three layers quilters i found out are very particular about their terms (laughs) but there's a culture and it of of mending and repair and healing you know these uh, and, it, and it tends to be women uh who who are you know there of course there are men in these cultures too but you know there there are these forms of art whether it's weaving or sewing or these things where things are put together or they're sewed or they're healed and it's not it's it's a completely different thing as like marring a piece of paper, 
cutting into something you know it's like a it's like a it's it's more it's it's like a different thing and so i always think that again this is just about uh you know expanding your you know putting your tentacles out there yeah. exploring different things and having people in your life that can point you to cool stuff mm. absolutely i think that's a a great place to end this. I have written down on my on this uh, tissue paper in front of me like <laughs> a ton of book recommendations. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> along, along, along with other topics I wanted to explore with you. There are still about like eight topics on this list. So it would be great to do a part, a part two sometime if you're that down. That would be fun. I would like that. Um, like that. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing all your wisdom. And I've got a lot of books about idleness and doing nothing to read. And this <laughs> Shep, Shep Gordon documentary Mike Myers, Art yes. and Fear, I need to actually read that. And then Metaphors yes. that, we, that We Live By sounds like it would be a, a great read as well. So I, I actually, I have to admit I haven't read that yet, but it's mm. on my shelf. Right. <laughs> Those books you know about, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always, you know, I, I always think it's good to keep uh, books around that the title couldn't possibly be as good as the book. <laughs> I have yeah. certain books like that, that I keep that one day I will read. Yeah. But for now, the book the book couldn't possibly be as good as the book that this this title mm. uh, conjures in my mind. One 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 book I'm um one book I'm thinking about. There's a cartoonist named Seth, and his book is called "It's a Good Life If You Don't Weaken." And I'm always like, Ooh. there's no way the book is. I'm sure it is actually, but yeah. <laughs> I'm like the book that that title conjures in my mind. Uh, I'm going to keep that around. Yeah, it's just keeping things to look forward to. It's, it's kind of the same for thing. me for the for the book <laughs> Finite and Infinite Games, which oh, I did, yeah. which I know I should read Carl. at some point, but I just yeah, I just like just even even the title of it, I just it applies in so many different contexts, and I, just, I don't know what the book's actually about, but I just like <gasps> is this a finite game or is it an infinite game? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, it's great. I mean, like, yeah, but it's it's kind of, but that that goes to. Um, I I also believe that the most important library in your house is the unread mm. library. It's it's the unread books that are the most valuable to keep around because you never know when you're gonna you're gonna see it. And I love to walk past my. That's why I still like physical books. Yeah. I read a lot on my Kindle, but I like having the book objects around because I'll go past it and I'll be like, oh oh, I need that one, mm. you know, and reach for it. Uh, but yeah, well, we could probably talk forever. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, anything you would Thank like you. to plug slash any ask you'd have the, of, of, of the audience at this point? If, oh, um, yeah. I, well, I, you know, uh, the, the easiest way to get to know me is just go to my website, austincleon.com. And then um, I do do a weekly uh, newsletter that people seem to like hmm. um, and that goes out every week and it's free and I just list 10 things I think are worth reading or listening to or watching and that's my favorite that is my favorite thing I do online these days I think uh, so check that out if you are inclined if you've made it this far <laughs> amazing we still have 336 people with us which is awesome wow um, awesome I think, yeah, there's sort of people coming in and out throughout the whole conversation, yeah, but the whole conversation will be available on the channel. We've got a Notion live blog that has loads of the quotes, and we have links to all of Austin's books and the blog and the newsletter in the video description, so you can check them out there. Thank you very much for joining this episode of The Deep Thank Dive, you. and we'll see you later, everyone.
That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at nOverthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.